All right, so after a 7-3 homestand for the Yankees uh, to start the so-called second half, it probably could have been a little better than 7-3, but I asked for 7-3 going into it, and that's what they gave me, so I guess I'll have to be content with it knowing that it probably could have been 8-2, maybe even 9-1, maybe even 10-0 if Joe Girardi uh, had made a couple different bullpen moves and if the lineup had produced the way they should be all season. But we'll take 7-3 and three, we'll go from there, and now they open up a little road trip in Texas against the worst team in baseball, and then they head to Boston um, a team who's trying to make a move to become the worst team in baseball. And joining me today to talk a little Yankees baseball is JJ from Barstool Sports New York. Uh, you can read him on Barstool Sports, uh, and uh, you can hear him on KFC Radio also on the site. JJ, how's it going today? Uh, it's going pretty good. I mean, 7-3, and three, can't really complain. Heading into Texas, we hope we uh, can turn it around, but you know, we're still waiting on, waiting on this trade deadline, waiting on some more Teixeira news, um, you know, just... Trying to get a healthy team, trying to find some healthy arms. But 7 to 3 to start the second half, it, it's not terrible. I think 8 and 2 is where we should have been. 8 and 2, I'd be a lot more confident. But, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to turn down 7 and 3. Yeah, and I think, you know, going in, I, I sort of tried to map out what, what they needed in the second half, at least go like week by week. And I wanted 7 and 3. I thought, you know, if you win all three series, that's where you'd be at. When they sweep the Reds and then they've got Texas limping in, you're expecting a little more. And that Monday game, they, they should have won that game. They could have won that game. Um, they could have pulled out both the second and third games, the Blue Jays series. I thought if the bullpen management was a little different, and I've been joking now for some time, you know, whenever you, people talk about Joe Girardi, they talk about how great of a bullpen manager is and I it's almost become a joke at this point like the way people talk about Mike Sosha and how he has the best fundamental teams or the best teams that go first to third and how Joe Madden's a guy that thinks outside the box you know Girardi's got this bullpen manager tag and I don't really know how he gets this because yes he keeps his bullpen guys healthy in a way that Joe Torre didn't but you know he's got David Huff pitching in tie games against a divisional opponent with 60 games left in the season he's bringing Jeff Francis in um, you know to try to hold a one a one run deficit in the ninth inning game that he blows open it just seems to me like he's still worried about playing for tomorrow and then when he does play for tomorrow in the case of Sunday's game and Batances and Robertson for the first time you know all season pretty much couldn't come through on the same day it cost them a win so I mean do you do you get that feeling that you know Girardi is sort of overhyped as this bullpen manager well I think he's he's done a good job like you said of not blowing out arms like Tori did but you look at some of the decisions that he makes and you just think what the fuck are you doing like why is joe why is chef francis coming in this game like we've asked enough times why is he on the team but yeah he came in because he was it was him or a hot dog vendor to get the win in the 15th a couple nights ago but now you're bringing him in to hold a, a one-run lead a one-run deficit it's exactly what you said he's thinking about tomorrow he's thinking about well how do i make sure that i save a couple arms i, I think when you sort of look at that, Batantis, Robertson, both giving up a run for the first time in the same game, um, you really got to look at it that right now the problem with this team, I think, as a whole, is that championship teams, when the bats aren't delivering, the starters deliver and the bullpen delivers. When, the, you know, when they're not delivering, you're putting up a lot of runs. But at no point uh, for a consistent stretch has this team done that. When you know, when we've got our pitchers going out and throwing great games, we're seeing our bats come up totally empty and only putting up one run, two runs, even getting shut out. Now when we got a couple runs, we're, you know, we've got these pitchers that are, I don't know how they're doing it, but they're, you know, keeping us in games. 
then the bullpen's falling apart, and the bullpen's supposed to be, you know, the strong piece. And, yeah, at times you've got to look at, you know, Girardi's binder and say, you know, what is in there? What is in the binder that's telling you Jeff Francis is a good idea ever? <laughs> well, it's funny because he got designated for assignment on Monday to make room for Zola Almonte to get called up, and it's like, you know, Jeff, thanks for coming. You know, you blew a game that we desperately needed, and now he's gone never to be heard from again. So it's almost like, you know, he came, he served his purpose, he gave us a loss, and, and now he's gone. Well, I mean, he, he was here for like two weeks before that, so – he really just got an extended vacation in <laughs> And he got Manhattan. to be part of the New York Yankees for two weeks and do uh, absolutely nothing. I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if Derek Jeter never spoke to him once. <laughs> like, if he didn't even get to meet Jeter. Like, uh, there'll be some trivia thing when he's running bar trivia back in Canada. Where, and they'll say, like, you know, hey, I was the guy who was with Derek Jeter's final season. But he never <laughs> even said hi to me. <laughs> Well, you know, when you talk about the bullpen and how the job that they've done, it's, you know, the teams come to rely on the bullpen, and it's a thing, it's obviously a much grander problem than than it is with the Yankees, but the idea that, you know, David Robertson is the closer, so he pitches the ninth inning when they have the lead, and DeBell and Batances now is the eighth inning guy, and Adam Warren's the seventh inning guy, and then, you know, if they don't have a lead, then you'll see Sean Kelly and the other, you know, members of the goof troop, but it's, it's almost like, you know, it's going to take someone at some point, some manager, to sort of resort back to the way baseball was before the closer and before the save became so prominent. Because you look at so many of these games where you know David Robertson could be coming in and do the role he used to do before he came a closer. Where you know there's two guys on second and third, one out, you need a big strikeout. But you know they're saving him for when the bases are empty in the ninth inning and the seven, eight, nine hitters are due off. And it just seems like you know Joe Girardi's not going to go against the way he has things. He has set bullpen roles for his guys. But there's so many times where it's the fifth or sixth inning the game needs to be saved then and you know Batantis and Robertson are out there and they never even come in the game because it's ruined well before they get out there by some of these you know B relievers as I call them well here's when Batantis kind of emerged this year as being a, a great spot in the eighth sometimes in the seventh too and you've got Robertson and the ninth inning filling impossible shoes to fill I had said on Barstool a few times and on Twitter as well that if played right, this could be like the 96 team. And now Batances is putting up Mariano 96-like numbers in terms of strikeouts per inning and things like that. But the problem with this team versus the 96 team, when we had that just go six innings as a starter, we've got Mariano and Wetland, they're going to close it up, is that we had David Cohn and Jimmy Key and like some of these other guys who weren't going six innings. They would go every other start, seven, eight, even nine innings. Right now, we've got basically a high school team because we've got all these rookies. <laughs> we've got Chase Whitley's, you know, thrown more innings this year than he ever has in the past. So these guys can't get past that sixth inning. So it, then it becomes, if you want to win every game, you need your seven, eight, nine guy to pitch every day, which they physically can't do. So... That's why when we, you know, when we're looking at trades and things like that, we need to find a big arm. There, the problem is that big arm may not be there. You know, Samarj and Hamels should be Yankees. They, <laughs> in every other year, my entire childhood, your entire childhood, those guys become Yankees. Those become like Cecil Fielder or any other big trade that we made growing up. But it's for some reason this year it didn't happen. We didn't have what they wanted and without someone who's gonna you know who's gonna stretch out and keep those innings as starters and be productive 
we really, we're in trouble by then. I mean, if you told me at the beginning of this homestand we are going to go 7-3, and three, I would have taken it. If you told me to get there, even in a loss, we were going to get Chris Capuano and he was going to go <laughs> six innings and give up two runs, I would have spit in your face because don't lie to me. There's no way that can happen. But that's where we are right now. We're getting Chris Capuano from the Rockies Triple A team to come and pitch for us on a Saturday at Yankee Stadium <laughs> in a division game. Well, it almost feels like the 08 season when, you know, they had Podsone and Razzer making up 40% of the rotation for a good portion of the year. And you go back to 07, they're calling up, you know, Matt DeSalvo, Chase Wright. And it always seems like these, you know, guys who end up nowhere, Sean Head, you know, a guy they highly touted forever, wouldn't trade in any deal. Like, God knows what he's doing right now. But there's always these guys the Yankees find. And yeah, I just can't wait to read the next guy, you know, on MLB Trade Rumors, who's the next guy they find off the scrap heap. Because when you've got Francis, um, you know, Rich Hill, uh, Chris Capuano, it's almost like anybody that gets designated for assignment this week leading up to the trade deadline is probably going to get signed by the Yankees at some point. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was surprised that, you know, we didn't get Darwin Barney today. We didn't pick <laughs> up this guy. Everybody getting designated is going to be a Yankee. Everyone gets to be a Yankee once. <laughs> but all of these guys who are the starters is, like, now it makes sense to me because every year I watch the old-timers game at home because I want to hear Paul O'Neill mic'd up. Like, I'd rather hear him mic'd up than anything else. He's the best part of Yankee baseball right now. And when they started announcing these players, and they're just like, he played half the season in 1972, and you just think, what the fuck? Where did this guy come from? And these are the same guys that are eating innings right now will go and eat innings in the all-timers game in 15 years. Like, that's where they come from. Like, oh, well, that must have been a bad year where we picked everyone up from, you know, a DFA, and... You know, hey, we they needed a, a warm body to stand out there next to Lou Pinella. <laughs> well, when you bring up Old Timers Day, you know, it's I mean, growing up, it's supposed to be about you know, it's supposed to be Mickey Mantle coming out last and Joe DiMaggio and Yogi Berra and you know, seeing guys like uh, you know Daryl Strawberry hit or uh, I don't even you know, you see Luis Soho or even some you know guy like Ricky Lede. But like you bring up, I mean, there's going to be people. I mean, there's probably not many people now at this point who remember Andy Phillips. You know, his role for three, four years on the team and he's there at Old Timers Day and. I mean, the, the people they're putting out there, you do bring up a good point. It just is laughable at this point. In the next five, ten years, who are the guys going to be showing up? It's almost like it's going to be a joke that uh, the lineups they're putting out there for that. Well, you can always tell. Always the, They squeeze a couple guys into the third base line when they announce they're like notable people. But for the most part, anyone who gets announced on the third base line, I've been to more Yankee games than they have. <laughs> and they're playing an all-timer set. <laughs> You, you started this out by talking about Samarich and Hamlin. They should have been Yankees. And, you know, looking at what Samarich has done with the A's, you know, he probably would have done the same with the Yankees. Hamlin's been getting beaten up in the AL, but uh, he isn't exactly the guy he was when he was at Baltimore. But now the big talk is packaging Cliff Lee and Cole Hamels and rumors and maybe the Yankees will just you know take all their money and hopefully not have to give much in return maybe a couple single-a names just to you know make it make it seem good in writing but I mean people are don't want to take 50 million dollars of Cliff Lee and the 22 or 28 million uh, Hamels owed throughout the rest of his career I'll, I'll have to check exactly what it is but you know if it's just money you know, the Yankees have the money. It's not my money. I always say this to people. It's not your money. Let them take as much money as they want. If they get Cliff Lee and Cole Hamels right now, you know, they're at least going to get one of the wild cards. Well, that's, that's the way I write when I cover the Yankees because I also I, I write it 
kind of say, we, we need this, we need that. And there's some people who go, you're not on the team. And, but you know what I am? Until it becomes the money. Then it's their money. Like, go nuts. I'm not going to go broke. They've got a, a printing press downstairs that just makes money. Like, you want another star? Just print out another T-shirt. Like, they finally made their money back on Tanaka and just T-shirt sales alone. So when it comes down to, like, who do we trade for? Can we really eat this salary? There's a few things to look at. One, when we've got a guy like Sabathia who gets hurt the way he is, um, he's out for the year. There's insurance money to be claimed there. Last year we got $17 million back for Teixeira. So that's, you know, that's found money that you can go out and you can pick up some of these guys. When it comes to actually getting, like, I would love to get Chase Utley. Um, I would personally love to tell Brian Roberts he's not on the team anymore because <laughs> lately he's just, we knew we weren't getting Brian Roberts five years ago, but he just looks lost. On Sunday there was that infield fly that it wasn't an infield yeah. fly. He yeah, he could have gotten to that. Uh, he should have gotten to that, but he didn't. And there's been some other plays, balls eating him up. Um, I mean, he might as well not bring a bat to the plate most of the time. But if we could get someone like a Chase Hopper who's having a great season, who anytime he's played at Yankee Stadium, loves that short portion right field, that would be amazing. The problem is Cliff Lee is a great playoff pitcher. Um, anytime you put him in the playoffs, he's going to go out there and win. But we've got to get to the playoffs. And he hasn't been pitching well. He does have all of this money tied up into him where if there's another option for the same amount of money, you take, I would say you take them. But also, Cliff Lee has had the opportunity to be a Yankee like several times. Uh, we came really close to trading from him when he was, uh, I guess he was with like Seattle. Yeah. Um, he, could have, he could have signed as a free agent and was very close to that, but his you know, his wife doesn't like the New York fans because they were mean during the World Series. I don't know why, but that has to weigh in as a factor. And, you know, he, he's, he has the no trade. He basically said, I don't want to be a Yankee. I'm sure if we were, you know, had a 10-game lead and we're in first place, he'd love to be a Yankee. But he likes the Philly area. I just don't see Cliff Lee being that piece. Um, you run the same problem with Chase Utley. Uh, I went to college in Philly. I lived in Philly. I know how much like these guys love the Philly area for some reason. <laughs> no, I know. I never get that. Yeah, I mean, it's just because the fans in Philly will murder you if you don't play well. Like They're <laughs> the worst people on earth, but these guys love them. But if we could get like a Hamels and a league, that could be good because Hamels is at least he's got years ahead of him to pitch. Um, if he can pitch in the AL. The problem is, I don't think we're going to see that big blockbuster move. I think we're going to see something like a John Danks. But if we have to give up Gary Sanchez for John Danks, no one's going to be happy. Um, I think we're going to see something like that, like a, a lefty starter, unless Cashman has something up his sleeve where he's going to find a way to get a David Price or a John Lester I think the big splash was Samarja, and we missed out on that just barely. 
Yeah, and you know, before we continue, the Hamels is owed uh, whatever part of his twenty-two and a half this year. Then he's got twenty-two and a half, uh, 2015, 16, 17, 18, and a twenty million dollar club option in in two thousand and nineteen. Uh, Lee, on the other hand, has got um, he's, he's owed forty-seven yeah, over the next yeah, few years. So he's got twenty part of twenty-five this year, twenty-five next year, and then twenty-seven and a half with a buyout in two thousand sixteen. Now the thing with Lee is that. Going back to the New York trade that you mentioned that Eduardo Nunez held up in 2000, July 2010 and then David Adams ruined with his uh, bad ankle and his terrible physical that pretty much devastated my life because you know if they get Lee at, in 2010, they win the World Series. They're, they at least go to the World Series because he swung the ALCS. They would have had no problem with the Rangers. I mean, they went to game six as is with a bad Phil Hughes, a banged up Andy Pettit, and CC being decent. Um, and then, you know, whatever might happen against the Giants. But they get to the World Series. Then they're the front runner to re-sign Lee because he's had time to come to New York. Uh, he went back to the World Series, maybe even won it in a hypothetical stance. Um, and then he's pitching with his so-called best friend, CC. Now, CC couldn't get him to become a Yankee during free agency when the, the Phillies jumped in. And that, you know, really screwed things up in December because the Yankees put all their eggs in the one basket, and then we saw, you know, Cologne and Freddie Garcia and all the nonsense. And granted, that all worked out, but you're right. Lee had a chance to become a Yankee through the trade. You know, not his fault it didn't go through. Um, it is his fault that he didn't come here as a free agent. Now I'm not sure if he would come here um, or if he really loves Philly that much, but yeah, if they could get Lee and Hamels, I'd love it. People have said that Utley wouldn't want to move because he loves Philly so much. He wants to be like part of their front office when he retires and, and stuff like that. But, you know, you brought up an interesting point of Cashman. He seems to always do these moves under the radar, whether they're low scale, like Chase Headley or Brandon McCarthy or even Ichiro a couple of years ago, where out of nowhere, it's just like, hey, the Yankees made a trade today and you don't really hear about it and then it happens. Um, it's always the ones that you don't hear about, whether it's, you know, Ryan Dempster last year um, or Ian Kenny the past couple of weeks. Those are the ones that don't happen and even with his free agent signings you know it was sort of under the radar when they got to Shara or when they got Burnett and you know everyone knew they'd get CeCe but you didn't expect that or this year with Ellsbury um, no one knew that they'd get him whereas they knew you'd get McCann and Beltran was 50-50 but he does seem to have that knack for flying under the radar um, I really hope that guy is not going to be John Danks because you know he's still owed money he's you know four plus ERA pitcher in the AL I'm hoping it's more like you said and maybe they make a you know a, a move with the Ryan Red Sox, which I really don't think will happen with Lester. I think they have a better chance getting him as a free agent. But you know, I'm holding out hope it's someone along the the Price Lester elite starter line, and and not someone who you know is going to go you know f- three and three the rest of the way with a 4.50 ERA. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think when you look at the big stars, especially the fans who are not Yankee fans, you know, anyone who just hates the Yankees, uh, and anyone who really just doesn't know baseball that well is the Yankees don't have the best farm system, but they don't have the worst farm system. They don't have a farm system where you look at all these guys and you look at, you know, like the Cubs, where you go, in two years, all these guys are going to be in the majors. They're all going to be hitting home runs. Um, that's going to be great. The Yankees don't have that. But they do have four, five good guys that could be packaged up to trade for a star or to trade for two stars. And at the end of the day, that's all you need. The Yankees just need a few guys in the minors that they can be traded because growing our own talent just isn't, it just doesn't happen quick enough to stay relevant every year. It's a constant battle we go through on Barstool with me as the Yankee guy versus all the other guys that you don't have the farm system. You're not, you know, you're not developing your own players. They don't give you an extra trophy for developing your own players <laughs> in winning the World Series. 
you can only win one one trophy, and that's what the Yankees look to do every year. And you know, when you look at even the you know the Giants have won you know two of the past couple. You know, there's other years where they come in last place, and their fans are fine with it. They you know they finish in third place, and then they come back and they win the World Series. That's great. Yankee fans won't stand for that. Well, when you come in last place the one year, the fans will not be there the next year when you win the World Series. And at the end of the day, with the ticket prices the way they are and everything costs what it does at the stadium and around the stadium, you might as well get the people to the seats because that's where you make the money to keep buying it. So if you, you, know, you hit bingo and you win the World Series every couple of years with that formula, and yeah, you're spending a lot of money, but you're spending money to make money. Um, it makes sense for the Steinbergers to do that, and it makes sense for Cashman to, you know, go out there and try to find and just, you know, call the Rays and say, like, what does it take to get David Price? Just name your price, and we'll take him, and maybe we <laughs> hold on to him, maybe we don't. Well, I like that mentality. You talk about the money that they have spent and the players that they do have, and and as we talk right now, Brian McCann, you know, makes a play at first base. It looks like his shoes were tied together. But uh, yeah. you, you look at the guys on this team now who aren't producing, and you got Mark Teixeira, who's you know the biggest fraud that the Yankees have signed in a long time. And the thing with him that you know he's gotten such an easy free pass because he happened to be a first year Yankee of the year that A Rod of all people carries them to a World Series. And Mark Teixeira, if you know if that drought had still been going on, if they still hadn't won since 2000 right now, and the Red Sox had won three times in that span, Mark Teixeira would be getting killed you know, as bad as A-Rod has because of the money he makes, because he's a terrible postseason player, because he's always hurt, and when he's hurt, he thinks he's Johnny Carson on the Yes Network, you know, putting together these you know, stand-up comedy talk shows he has, but... I mean, he got so lucky that first year because he was so bad in the playoffs and has been since that, you know, A-Rod, the guy who's, you know, taken the brunt for what's happened since 04 and on, you know, was the one that carried him. But he's he's out again now with, you know, a lat problem after a wrist problem, after a ribcage thing. You know, one time he says he's too tired, his legs hurt from standing on the bases too much. I mean, Mark Teixeira's career has just become such a joke, and, and it's not ending anytime soon. I mean, we still have a few years left of this guy, and, you know, we're just hoping that he could be a – you know, a 230 guy and give us 25 home runs. And that's not what they signed up for when they gave him, uh, you know, 22 and a half, 23 and a half million dollars a year. Yeah. Um, I mean, he just, another thing that helps him is everyone goes, well, you know, he's a gold glove first baseman. <laughs> it's like not anymore. Wait, because if you don't have him there, you've got Brian McCann who's now filling in. And you know what? He's not doing a spectacular job there, but he's never played first base. You know, he's, Filling in, and you know, I respect that. He's being a ball player. But, yes, your only other options are a guy who's never played first base or Kelly Johnson. You might as well just put a folding chair out there, and like maybe it'll bounce into it. But And, and then when you look at the offensive side, is even when it gives us the 230 and the 25 home runs, it's better than Kelly Johnson's 230 and seven home runs. Uh, so... He still, that's just his saving grace is that there hasn't been anyone to come up behind him. If there was, and I guess it goes back to the Yankees' farm system, if we had like a first baseman you know, prospect, not even necessarily a stud, but just a good prospect who would come and put the pressure on him, either he'd be bounced out of there or he would step up to it, similar to what happened with you know, Jim Tomey, who got all this huge money from the Phillies and then wasn't producing, 
gets hurt, Ryan Howard comes in, Jim Tomey's gone. Uh, I mean, that's really, that would be the best case situation. But it seems like with Teixeira, this is just, this is what we have. There's going to be something the rest of the year. He'll put up, you know, somewhat decent numbers because either one of us could put it out to right field at the stadium. And then he's going to come into spring training and say, you know, my lats almost all the way there, regardless of the fact that this is something that happened in August and he should be fine. But, you know, he's, he, if nothing else, he is an amazing excuse machine. <laughs> he's very good at the excuses. And, you know, another guy who's always hurt now is Beltron, who's sort of screwed over Soriano. And I know Soriano didn't hit. And, you know, when you don't hit, it's easy because baseball stats, black and white, you know, he's gone because he didn't hit. And he didn't hit against lefties. And he didn't hit in the time he got. But, you know, Soriano is a 14-year everyday player who went into the season believing he was going to be the everyday DH and play outfield here and there to spell guys who needed a break. And he becomes a platoon guy because Beltron gets hurt, can't throw a baseball, so he becomes the DH. So Soriano now has to split time with each hero. He's not getting his regular at-bats. And when he doesn't get in, he's not going in enough so that he doesn't hit. And eventually he gets designated for assignment. And I think it you know, has to do with the fact that, sure, he didn't hit, but it didn't help him that Beltron got hurt and couldn't throw a baseball and do his job, the job that he signed $15 million a year to do. So I know the first part of this Beltron experiment which would have been a lot better had it started off in 2005 like it should have. Um, you know, it hasn't gone as well as it could, but he's starting to show a little power in the second half here. Hopefully he comes around and starts hitting for a better average. But are you worried about, you know, the aging Carlos Beltran, who's got two more years left after this one? I mean, it, you kind of have to. There's no way to not worry about him because coming into the year, the concerns were, well, he's aging. He's got, you know, he had a bad knee a couple years ago, but he delivered for two years. He's been a great ball player. And baseball is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately sport. And at this point, it, it, he's had a great career that he can rely on, that he will bounce back, but he hasn't done that in pinstripes, so I don't really care about it. Um, he just he hasn't produced. And if it's not the elbow that's an issue, he's hitting himself in the face with a ball in batting practice. Or, you know, there's, there's just always, there's always something. And these are things that compound. Um, you know, and I believe being, you know, a sports guy that I believe in the superstition of it. You know, I believe in any sport. You know, Tony Romo's a great quarterback, but he cannot win that big game. He, you know, he maybe needs to leave Dallas. It's not going to happen there. Beltron needs to show that he can deliver in New York where he says he's always wanted to be, you know, in the Bronx. He delivered in Queens before. Until then, we've all got to be concerned about them. Guys, I'm not concerned. I'm not really concerned about McCann, um, and I'm not concerned about Ellsbury. I think at a certain point, they're going to start hitting like the back of their baseball cards. Um, yeah, they're you know they're getting older. Everyone's getting older, but Beltron is you know he could be at a point where you know no, he has somewhat decent numbers this year. Comes back next year. And he's he's Soriano, who put it into water if he fell out of a boat. <laughs> well, you talk about the guys you know who aren't producing, and then there's the new guys on the team who actually are. And you got Chase Headley, who came over to trade 
he hasn't been what he was a couple years ago when he led the NL in RBIs, but uh, you know maybe that was sort of anomaly to what the rest of his career has been or what it will be. But you know, at just 30 years old, they they bought low with a chance for a you know a big reward, and it sort of reminded me of the deals in the past. And maybe he's not going to turn out to be Scott Brocious, but you know before Brocious came here, he hit 202, um, you, you know with the A's, and then became a 300 hitter with the Yankees at the bottom of the lineup, or even Aaron Boone who. They got him in his only all-star season, but besides that, he was, you know, 230, 240 hitting type guy, and so far, Headley's done a good job in, uh, you know, on both ends, both offensively and defensively, and Cashman downplayed him when they got him, saying, you know, we're not getting a thumper, and we're not getting the best defender, sort of, you know, shitting on his own player, but he's been as good as probably he can be these first few games. Yeah, I mean, well, that's, I mean, that's Cashman's move with anyone, is, yeah, they're going to come in, it's actually, it's his move lately. Because when he would sign big guys like A-Rod or, you know, trade for A-Rod or they'd sign, re-sign A-Rod or they'd bring in CC, you know, he says, like, these guys are here to do this. Lately, he's been going with Tanaka saying, yeah, he might be a number three starter. Like, he knew what he was getting with Tanaka. He knew he was getting an ace. And Headley, you got to take some of the pressure off him because he's coming in. He hasn't played well before July. Now he's starting to heat up. Uh, he's not been what he was two years ago when you know, he first started trying to get him. So if you downplay it, it takes a little pressure off of him. Uh, hopefully that makes him feel comfortable kind of in this environment. In a pennant race, I mean, I don't even know if he's ever been in a pennant race of any kind before. <laughs> so, this, you know, there's a lot of new elements to it. And you come out and, you know, you, you go over your first 10, you're going to get food a lot, regardless of how much you're getting paid. And so I think Cashman set him up for success there, which is good. Well, you also have got Brandon McCarthy, who I noticed on Twitter you've become sort of a fan of his wife asking her to brunch and, and on, on little dates and stuff. But, I mean, McCarthy it's, it's not dates. It's not dates. I just – here's the thing. Amanda McCarthy puts out there, she's a party girl. This is what Amanda McCarthy does. She's a party girl. She's talking about I'm drinking a bottle of wine. I'm packing. I'm drinking a bottle of wine. I'm unpacking. <laughs> You can only say you're drinking so many bottles of wine and coming to New York before you're going to get invited to a bruisey brunch. <laughs> and I just, I, I like the vibes that she gives off. She goes to the games. The Yankees really haven't had any public wives. Or, you know, there was Minka and your Cameron Diaz, kind of your superstar model and actress girlfriend. But we've never had, uh, like, you know, a player's wife who's there, who's at the games, who's taking pictures with people and stuff like that. And you don't want to distract them on the field. But at the same time, if she wants to get in a Benedict and maybe do bottomless <laughs> mimosas, I'm there for her. <laughs> well, That's you know, what Barstool Sports offers. <laughs> I, I hadn't really checked her Twitter out until I saw you tweeting at her so much. <laughs> and she does actually drink a lot of wine. I mean, it says it on her thing. You know, I drink wine, and every everything she writes is she's either at a bar alone or she's drinking wine alone. So I guess I guess maybe your tweets to her do make sense. Yeah, and this is it's strictly platonic. Like I have a girlfriend. I've said I'll bring. She can bring Brandon. I don't care if he's there or not. I mean, I, I'd like to meet the guy, but. <laughs> I think that me and Amanda could be a great, a great party team in this city. Maybe we do a bottomless brunch. Maybe then we head up to the stadium. Maybe she's got some players' tickets. You know, maybe I'm sitting there next to her. You know, it's the it's the wag section. It's wives and girlfriends. But that G can be changed to wives and guy I met on the internet. And there I am. 
<laughs> well, do you have a dog? Because I know she has a dog that she's, uh, you know, she always tweets about the dog, too. So that would help out. I'm thinking about renting one. I'm thinking about <laughs> renting one and just be like, oh, well, you're at Central Bark, too. Like, whatever that means. Well, on the field, I mean, McCarthy, three starts so far. He's going at least six in all of them, giving up one run each time. I mean, he's become the guy that he was on the A's a few years ago when he sort of revitalized his career, uh, you know, became the guy that the White Sox and Rangers thought he would be when he's younger. And he's, he's you know, just 30, 31 years old. I mean, if he could finish strong here, maybe he's a guy they look to sign after the season because, you know, they're going to need rotation help if they don't make some deals here. Um, and you can't really rely on CC at this point with the, the knee issue and if that becomes microfracture surgery. Tanaka, who knows when he'll be back. Same with Nova. Uh, Pineda's been hurt now for going on what will be three consecutive years. So, I mean, he could be a guy that they turn to at the end of this season if he, if he can help him down the stretch some more. Uh, and we could be seeing him more than just this year in pinstripes. Yeah, definitely. Um, if we can get him, he's making like $10.5 million this year. And the Yankees aren't on the hook for a ton of that. But if he can piece together that, you know, he is who, you know, who he is. Because you have the bad season that he's been having in Arizona. You go from making $10 million a year to maybe a million, maybe even just getting a, an invite to camp. But now he can pitch himself into a position where he's comfortable. He, you know, maybe he feels comfortable in New York. Based on Amanda's tweets, it looks like they got a place. They're not just staying in a hotel, which a lot of players do at this, um, at, at kind of this juncture in the season if they get traded. So maybe they get comfortable. You know, that's something to bring to the table. Hey, we've got a couple mil a year for you. You get to stay here. You get to stay in pinstripes. Who doesn't want to be a Yankee besides Cliff League? Um, and it could be a good thing for them. Uh, he's really been he's been delivering. You know, you, you didn't know when we made that trade. Like, well, why are we trading for him? Aside from the fact that we needed to get Vidal Nuno as far away from the Bronx as possible. And at the end of the day, he is better than Vidal Nuno. Nuno went out and threw like seven innings his first start in Arizona. I don't know what he's been doing since then. But the, the important thing is he's not pitching for the Yankees, he's not giving up four home runs a game, and he's not going to Billy's after the game cruising for chicks. <laughs> we got him out of there. Have you seen him there doing that? I have hung out with Vidal Nuno on a few occasions. I mean, there's um, no... unless I mean, Billy's... After a win, you know, especially on a weekend win or, or like a Thursday, Friday night win, it's a great place to be. After they lose, it's, it can be depressing. So I hope it was after a night they won. Uh, so I saw him at Billy's after a Saturday game, an afternoon game, that he was pitching the next day in the second day of the doubleheader. And someone from Billy's was like, knew who I was as being like from Barstool and said, hey, do you want to meet a Yankee? And I said, sure. And they brought me over to Vidal Nuno, and he's standing there in a polo shirt and a and a backpack. I thought he was a, like a bar back that just got off duty because like he's not that big of a guy. He actually, um, like, I mean, yeah, he's like when you see him on the mound, he's not you know when you see him on TV pitching, he's not an imposing figure for what you would expect from a major league pitcher. Yeah, like I'm six one, I'm a pretty big guy, and I was just like you you play in the major leagues, and I don't. <laughs> um, and so I saw him, met him there. He's you know. He's pulling what you think everyone would do. and just like, why don't you just go across the street? You can get any girl you want. Um, and it works for him. But then I saw him again there after a Saturday game against Baltimore where he gave up four home runs. <laughs> and I was, I was at Billy's. I had left in, like, the eighth inning because it was a blowout. And I turn around, and he's sitting there on a bar stool 
uh, next to one of those big speakers they have there that come up to like, you know, that are like four or five feet high. And he's sitting there eating a wrap, like a <laughs> chicken Caesar. And I just walked over to him and was like, what's going on, man? And he was like, oh, how's it going? I was like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Of all the places in New York City for you to eat a wrap sandwich right now, <laughs> you think the most appropriate place is Billy's right across the street. And he just goes, oh, you know, it's... I go, that wasn't good today. And I told him this to his face. And, like, he just goes, yeah, well, it's part of the game. I said, Vidal, the problem is that it's not a part of the game. It's your entire game. Your entire game is giving up home runs and eating free wrap sandwiches across the street. They have food in the clubhouse. Like, I haven't played I don't know if I would eat at, you know... (laughs) I am not a, uh, a major leaguer, nor do I have the bank account of one, and I don't know if I would be eating a rapid Billy's. But, yeah, no, I would never eat anything there. <laughs> I mean, I will, I will drink there, I will party there. Um, but they have food in the clubhouse. Like, I've sat in the, like, go to the champion suite. Like, just go behind there. There's lobster and shrimp and stuff <laughs> like this. Someone can get you a plate. But don't go sit there. Next to, and I'll, I can retweet out the picture. I have a picture of him sitting there eating a wrap sandwich, and on one side is a speaker with the sandwich, on the other side is a mop bucket with a mop sticking out of it. <laughs> and it was just like a total sign for what was going on with him, and he got traded like a week later. Uh, that, that's, <laughs> that actually, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It doesn't really surprise me. And when it comes to Billy's, are you a guy, are you an old Billy's guy before they really opened up that wall and made it, you know, it's like as big as a warehouse now? Yeah, so I mean, I'm yeah, I'm an old Billy's guy and a Stan's guy. Try to mix it up. Really, how I differentiate is that if I'm going with just the guys, I will go, I'll go to Stan's, no problem. But if I'm going with like if I'm going with my girl or like my friend, like we're going with a bunch of girls, I'm not going to go to Stan's with them because I was there opening day and saw a chick get just a bottle over her head for like no reason. There was no confrontation. She just got a bottle smashed over her head. So. I try to avoid that. So that in that case, Billy's worse because it's just so big. It's such a a huge place. And also, if we try to do any kind of, hey, barstool readers, if you're going to meet up before the game, it just works for the space. But stance is a classic, uh, but it's dick to ass. You're always going to have an ass on your dick when you're in there. Guy, girl, construction worker, you never know. Um, and then the other, I guess there's like uh, the dugout. The dugout's great. <laughs> I, I mean, I looked. I uh, I always sit in two hundred three in the right field bleachers. So I mean, that's like the easiest, you know, easy in, easy out is to go to the dugout right there. So I yeah. feel like, and they, I mean, it's it's you know, it's much bigger than it looks from the outside. It, it opens up in the back end. They have they have good deals. Whereas you know, at Billy's, you're paying like eight dollars for a Coors Light. So it kind of gets a little ridiculous over there. Well, here's a little a little Billy's tip for you know anyone who's looking to get a little drunk cheap. At Billy's, it's like $7 for a Bud Light, for a 12-ounce Bud Light, but it's $8 for a 22-ounce Sapporo. So if you like Sapporo at all, you get 10 more ounces for a dollar more. There you go. That's a, that is a yeah. good tip to know. That is a good tip to know. And I guess when you talk about Nuno, you know, to start off this part, and you know, seeing him at Billy's, you know, a guy who you'd probably like to see coming up is you know, Troy Tulowitzki. Maybe it would be nice if he was hanging out there in the future since he seems to be hanging out at Yankee Stadium to begin with on his days off, uh, sitting as a dis- on the disabled list, seeing doctors in Philly, but for some reason coming to Yankee Stadium, sitting in the open, not in a suite where he easily could have gotten tickets or access to, whether he paid for them himself with his tens of millions of dollars or you know, a fellow player could have given him to him. But it sort of sent a message, you know, Troy Tulowitzki sitting uh, in the seats 
seats between the bases in the you know the Wall Street seats watching Derek Jeter play. I think it I think it sent a message not only to baseball and the Yankees but to the Rockies. You know he seems to want out, and I think he has his eye on where he wants to go. He he wants to be the bad boy of the Bronx, and I love it. I I love it. I don't know about you, but growing up, like you know, teenage years, I used to watch a lot of pro wrestling, and whenever guys would switch from like WCW to WWF, or they would always enter through the crowd, like as if they had bought a ticket. It's like the oldest thing in wrestling. Like, well, he's a paying fan tonight. They can't throw him out of here, and then the guy hops the guardrail and gets involved. That's what was happening yesterday. I was waiting for Tulawitzki to come out and pinch hit. It was. Amazing. And during the game, they reported he was here to see doctors in New York. When I saw that it was in Philly, he was like, oh, well, it's right there. It's two hours away. It's a two-hour drive. And he he said he had family there. And, uh, I mean, he played it off as that he wanted to see Derek Jeter play one last time, which – yes, but at this point, I don't know. I I mean, it's weird because, you know, I was in – what was I, like – I was nine years old when Jeter started with the Yankees and four in fourth grade. So to me, you know, obviously Derek Jeter is, you know, special among other athletes I grew up watching, but at the same time, you know, that probably holds true for Troy Tulowitzki. He's a couple years older than me, but I feel like when you become a major league player, that sort of goes out the window. So it seems like a little odd that he would want to go watch a guy that he plays against in the same league. It's not like he's just a fan anymore of Derek Jeter. You know, he's he's an opponent and a competitor of his. So I, I feel like that was sort of, you know, uh, a made-up excuse that he kept in his back pocket. And I don't think people really, you know, read into it. I mean, some people are like, yeah, that makes sense. But if you really read into it, it just seems a little weird that, you know, a fellow major leaguer wants to go watch another guy play on his day off two hours away from where he's supposed to be. Well, I mean, I like you see at the end of the year when you get into September and they sprinkle in a couple more days off for guys. Occasionally, you see um, either guys either have an off day or they have a getaway day, and then there's a night game. Like they're flying into Boston and Boston Sunday night baseball, but you came, you know, from New York, and so guys will go to the game sometimes. Occasionally, you'll just catch a guy sitting behind home plate because they're not playing; they're playing that team the next day. They just wanted to take in Fenway or some iconic ballpark or something like that. And I like it because it brings it, you know, it brings it back to it's a game. It's meant to be fun. These guys love the game, which is great. What Troy Tulowitzki did yesterday was nothing like that at all. That was 100% Colorado. I do not want to be there anymore. Um, this is where I would like to be. And at the end of the day, Yes, he doesn't have the decision to say, well, this is where I want to go. This is where you have to send me. You have to take whatever prospects they have. But if you show that interest and you show up to New York and you show that you really want to be there, maybe they go a little harder to try to get you. I mean, it can't hurt. There are some people who are saying this is, you know, this is an A-Rod move. This is something A-Rod would do. Cheater would never do that, which is fine by me. He's at least showing that, hey, I want to be here. He's not looking to slow play it or say, ah, you know, trade me wherever the chips may fall. I'll be happy. He's, he's showing up. He showed up at a game on a Sunday at Yankee Stadium and sat there. And the Yankee security kept everyone away from him. No one was able to go up to get pictures with him. Reporters weren't allowed to go near him. Uh, they made sure that he was extra secure. So there's a little give and take both ways there. Yeah, and I saw that. Uh, Ian O'Connor's story about how it was sort of an A-Rod mood and move, and granted, Ian O'Connor wrote a, a book. Um, I don't know if, if Jeter took part in it, had anything to do with it, but it was about the. I think it's called K 
captain. So it's about Jeter. So. Yeah, I'm actually <laughs> looking at it on my bookshelf right now. <laughs> so obviously, you know, he's a Jeter guy, and, you know, the Yankees are coming off series against Toronto and Cincinnati and Texas. So he's, you know, at a loss for what to write a column about. So he comes up with this narrative about how it's an A-Rod move. But, you know, even if it was an A-Rod move, I know, you know, A-Rod gets all this heat for what he's done in the playoffs and, all the other stuff to take, you know, put aside the steroids, the off the field, the divorce, whatever he does at strip clubs, all that stuff. I mean, after 2003, you know, Yankees, Red Sox, ALCS, you know, the, the forefront of the sports world. And he wanted to be a part of that. So he tried to make sure he was. And, you know, he be, he was with the Red Sox through a trade that got canceled. He becomes a Yankee. You know, he wanted to be in the mix. He wanted to, you know, play on, on a team that people cared about and people watch national TV. He wanted to play for a World Series. And granted, Tulowitzki did that, you know, back in 07 when they lost to Boston when he was 22-23, but you know, you have to give the guy credit. He wants to go somewhere where he can win. He's not, you know, just taking his money and milking it in, in Colorado like plenty of other people would in uh, professional sports. I mean, he's there. He wants to play, you know, whether it's in New York or somewhere where he can win, and I think you know, that's going a little unsaid, and maybe it was an A-Rod-esque move, but you know, A-Rod wanted to do it at one point and eventually did, and, and I think uh, you know, I respect Tulowitzki for wanting to go somewhere and play where people can you know, want want baseball and people want to win. He's asking to fill the biggest shoes there are. I could not imagine wanting to be the shortstop for the New York Yankees after Derek Jeter. It's it's tougher than what Robertson has to do in New York um, for Mariano. I just I can't imagine what compares to it right now. And you know, there's Mickey Mantle took over for Joe DiMaggio, and we have. All those guys, and at the time, I'm sure it was very huge. But right now, with the way media is, the way, you know, just every amount of criticism you can get, whether it's through social media or bloggers like us who would have, we would just be guys sitting in bars talking about this in the 50s. But now there's a billion more voices out there to criticize them. Tulowitzki saying, "This, I'm going to take the toughest challenge that there is out there, the toughest that you can have. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to do it. And if it's an A-Rod move, it's an A-Rod move. But personally, I'm an A-Rod fan. I like A-Rod. I think if you want to put, you know, if you want to put steroids in your body and everyone else is doing it, fine. Just make it legal. Let God sort out the rest. <laughs> but um, all the guy wanted to do was win. That's all A-Rod wanted to do. He won a World Series. He won these MVPs. Yeah, he's a weird dude. But you know what? If I could go 40-40, I'd bang trannies like he does too. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not the key to it. And my body's not going to uphold well with the steroids. So, you know, I'm stuck just being a regular guy. But Tula Whiskey <laughs> is saying, I want to be the best. I want to take a shot at being the best. The same way A-Rod did when he said, I deserve the most money because I'm the best baseball player out there. you got to respect it. Rather than just, you know, trying to play the media, he's just showing up and saying, this is, this is where I want to be. Well, with Tula Whiskey... He's going to if he ends up in Queens. He ends up in Queens. <laughs> no, that feel, so I'm going to feel... I'm just going to feel bad for him. I'm going to feel terrible because, like, yeah, it sucks that we can't get him. I don't even know necessarily if, from a production standpoint, his ways away, his numbers away from Coors Field translate into being a great Yankee. But at the same time, like, the guy shows up, sits behind home plate, then he gets stuck in Queens, um, you know, batting 190 like the rest of that lineup because of that field they built. I'm going to feel bad for the guy. I'm going to invite him to brunch, too. Me, him, and Amanda. <laughs> Well, with Tulowitzki, I mean, it comes down to not only are you going to have to give up, uh, you know, top-grade prospects, major league-ready players, maybe even major league players, 
maybe like Batantis or Gardner. You're going to have to give someone up, you know, that you're not going to want to. Maybe a couple guys, two, three, four guys you're not going to want to give up. And then you're going to have to pay him. And he's already 30, or he's going to be 30 this year. He's born in 84. And, you know, he's got a lot of money owed to him for a pretty good amount of years. So you're eventually going to get old up the middle once again. And I'm not sure. Maybe his numbers, you know, at Coors Field, they're, they're so heavily weighted to, you know, he's got such a better stat line at home than he does on the road, which is sort of the case for anyone that plays for the Rockies. But I just don't know. I mean, it sounds nice, Troy Tulowitzki playing shortstop, taking over for Derek Jeter. But when you look at, you know, what's the possibility of him landing on the DL again, which he seems to always do, and then you're, you know, you're overpaying for old talent again, it just seems like maybe it's a trap and maybe it's, you know, the Yankees not learning from past mistakes. I mean, yeah, and that's the that's why Cashman makes more money than we do, and that's why he's got a team of scouts who are gonna you know figure out if it is the right move, and it might not be the right move. But if nothing else, the Yankees make it exciting. They're not just holding up shop, and whether it's, you know they're making trades, they're trying to make trades, they're signing free agents. They've got all star players showing up in the stands. It's the best thing about being a Yankee fan. It's always exciting. It's not the same old thing that you get in Queens where it's like, oh, we're the Mets, we suck, we don't have any money, Ponzi scheme this, Ponzi scheme that. Um, and, it's you know, it's not some of these other teams that you don't even, like, hear from, you know, throughout the season. The Yankees are always going to be top of mind for anyone in baseball. They're always going to be leading off Center, and it's always going to be an exciting place. And as a fan, I don't know what else you could ask for because you can't realistically ask for a World Series every year. We're in contention, and it's going to be fun to watch. Well, you know, in a deal, maybe Gardner gets moved, maybe doesn't, depending on you know how they want to align their outfield in the future. I thought he was a guy that probably could have got moved going into this season, and good thing he didn't because of the injuries to Speltron and Soriano sucking, and um, you know the guy's not playing up to like you said the back of their baseball cards or the way Michael K would say that. But Brett Gardner, I mean, he hits another home run on uh, Monday night against Hugh Darvish, down three career hits off the guy, all home runs. He's showing a little pop here. And it's, it's kind of funny because they, you know, I've always compared him to being the exact player Jacoby Ellsbury is, aside from that one year that Ellsbury had where he almost won MVP. But, I mean, it's weird that Ellsbury is the guy that gets the, you know, the $150-plus million deal. Gardner gets 50 which is something he might have thought he would never get. But Brett Gardner at this juncture seems to be a better player, you know, all around than Jacoby Ellsbury is. Yeah, I mean, so far this season, Brett Gardner has 100% lived up to his contract. There were people who said that we overpaid for him, and at the end of every baseball contract, you overpaid. You know, that last year of any contract, there's never been a contract where you go, oh, well, you know what, that seems totally fair at the end of the day. <laughs> someone's a winner, someone's a loser. Normally at a certain point early in their careers, the, the player or the loser, they make it up on the back end. But for right now, Gardner is delivering exactly you know, what you would want for what we're paying him. Um, and he's out there every day. Uh, he's playing hard. He's not, you know, we have had, with some of the guys that we've had, we've had problems with them being a prima donna or, you know, we've got the Teixeira, my wrist, my this, my that. Gardner is out there looking to play every day. He's getting on base. He's sliding that oven mitt on his hand, and he's taking second. <laughs> what else can you ask for? Well, as we do this podcast, games going on. Um, Yankees playing the Rangers. The Blue Jays are in Boston. Um, but yeah, entering play on Monday, the Yankees four back in the division, um, one back in the wild card, but tied in the loss column with Toronto in the second wild card. And uh, 104 games in, so 58 games to go. Uh, when this is all said and done, you know we had 
just over two months of baseball left. Are they a second wild card team, or are they the AL East winner? Um, that's a tough one. Um, I, I think they could be either. I think there's a lot of people who think they they don't have a shot at the East, just focus on the wild card. But I don't think still this early in the season you can focus on just being a wild card team, uh, especially when you're only four games back. They haven't had – they just had a 7-3 and three run. They've you know had a couple, you know – Six and two runs here and there, and but they haven't had a run like the Razor kind of in the middle of right now, or there's been a few other teams who go out and they win 10, 11, 12 games in a row. With the way this team has been pitching, if they can keep things going and you know keep mixing in these good starts, you know, getting six, occasionally seven innings, having the bullpen hold some leads, but these bats wake up and we start putting up, you know six, seven runs a game. Everyone's getting half off their Papa John's the next day. The whole city's really happy. Um, we can go on a seven, ten-game run in a row, and then all of a sudden it's tied. Then it's a crapshoot. You know, maybe you're 20 games left in the season, and you're neck and neck for that division spot. At the end of the day, you want that division spot. You don't want to have to have the one-game playoff because who even starts that? Is it Corota? We don't have that, you know, if we still had Tanaka and they said there's a one-game playoff, I'll go, fine, that's fine. We'll just go win that one game and we'll get into a five-game series. But we don't have that person, so we need to capitalize on a weak division and look to, you know, leapfrog some of these other teams. The problem is, though, that the Blue Jays are coming back healthier. They're getting, you know, some healthy guys back in the lineup. And Baltimore is continually finding ways to win. So the the East is the hope. The East is um, a possibility. Uh, I think there is a good chance that we end up being that second wild card team because I think it's uh, Anaheim's in the first spot, and they're like seven games ahead of everyone. So, you know, they're pretty much locked up to make the playoffs along with uh, Oakland. All right, JJ. Well, or no, no, it's Seattle. It's Seattle not oh, Anaheim. Seattle. That is right. That is right. Well, JJ, thanks for giving me your time today to talk a little Yankees baseball and with uh, you know those fifty-eight or fifty-seven games, what's left after Monday's game against the Rangers. Uh, we'll have to talk again down the stretch here. Two months left to go, and uh, hopefully, you're, uh, we hold out hope and your prediction comes true, and the Yankees are the division winner. Yeah, man. Um, thanks for having me on. For um, anyone that's on Twitter, I'm at Barstool JJ, and you can I do probably three or four articles a week uh, on the Yankees on Barstool Sports on the New York site. And, yeah, man, you just have to have to let me know. Me, you, and JJ will have to get together. The other JJ will have to get together um, at a Yankee game. It sounds yeah. like we go to a bunch of them and just haven't connected yet. That That's true. We'll have to get him in the mix. All right, JJ, thanks again. Thanks, man.